Hello and welcome to Definitions, the podcast where we crack the lid of the coffin on death, dying, and all the morbid morsels in between. Before we go any further, halt and take heed. These are your words of warning. I will be discussing topics of a deathly nature that may be upsetting to some, as there will be mentions of grave and corpse desecration. If you're not in the right headspace to get down and dirty with the maggots today, then that's fine. I totally get it. Sometimes you'd rather dig into a packet of Werther's Originals and the knitting you still have to do on that jumper for your favourite fur baby that's made out of their own hair than a freshly dug grave. Now's your time to save yourself. If you're still here, I'll assume you've got your shovels at the ready because today I'm talking about one of London's best-known spooks, the Highgate Vampire. How many of you have told a story And in order to keep the listener's ear, sprinkled an embellishment here and there. If you have, then you probably know once you start, it can be kind of hard to stop. Humanity loves telling stories. They can help us learn and grow and empathize and are important tools to share with others the ways in which we see the world. But sometimes, even with the best of intentions, stories can get out of hand. To illustrate this point, we start with a myth within a myth. You've probably heard of Orson Welles' 1938 radio broadcast of the H.G. Wells novel, War of the Worlds. I grew up listening to it and was terrified to nightmares and the eerie music and spooky illustrations that came with my mum's ancient vinyl copy. When you read newspaper reports of the original broadcast today, you will be told that millions of Americans broke out into mass panic and that they truly believed that the aliens were attacking. And though this idea of mass hysteria, of the future fate of the world coming through the radio and scaring people into the insistence that the end is near, is not true. In fact, there's evidence to support the fact that the newspapers purposefully demonised the newfangled radio broadcasting because they were losing sales to it. It is true that within two years, people all over the world would be listening into their radios as the Axis and Allied powers went to war. So maybe there is a little truth, or reality even, in the strangest stories. In the north of London, down quiet sloping roads, and under the arching arms of whispering trees, lies a graveyard unlike any other. These days, Highgate Cemetery is quiet and peaceful, apart from the pensive, wandering forms of 
those who choose to visit and pay their respects to the dead. Highgate is home to the final resting place of around 170,000 people, and the number is still growing. For a pretty penny, you can buy yourself an eternal hole in the ground amongst the famous and the infamous, the nobodies and ordinary somebodies who chose to leave their remains amongst the sediment of one of the oldest cities in the world. Of the famous are writers and poets, actors and philosophers. The beloved creator of The Hitchhiker's Guide, Douglas Adams, is laid to rest near the gates on the east side of the cemetery, where a bouquet of pens is left by devoted readers, and a tiny A-board with the number 42 is perched next to the grave. If you know, you know. If you pass up Egyptian Avenue, where the dead lay in their tombs, you'll find yourself in the Circle of Lebanon, a lowered ring of tombs which happen to house the remains of Radcliffe Hall, pioneer of queer modern fiction, who rests in the tomb of their lover, Mabel Batten. Queerer still are the stories which surround the cemetery like wraiths of mist, only visible from the corner of your eye just for a moment, then gone so fast you think it was just a bird, flitting in the sunlight or a fox slinking lowly through the brush, except the air is deadly still and silent around you. You are all alone, except for the dead. And maybe they're not as securely tucked under their earthly blankets as you think. The Highgate of today keeps a respectful balance with nature, between allowing the trees and shrubs to caress the graves with their soft greenery and looking after the coarse, porous stone which most of the graves consist of. Everywhere you look, there are more graves, names and dates rising into focus at jaunty angles like great teeth in quicksand. But the cemetery has not always had such a peaceful history. For years, the older sections, particularly the west side, was left to crumble and fade. During the 60s and 70s, overgrown and vandalised, the Western Cemetery was in terrible disrepair. It's reported that through the boards of rotting coffins, flashes of bone, other grisly sights could be witnessed. Shortly put, it was not a respectful way to treat the dead. When you enter the Western Cemetery now, the paths are easy to navigate, and once furnished with a map, it is quite easy to find your way around. But I can only imagine teenagers in the early 70s, stumbling through an overgrown forest where a fallen epitaph, or perhaps a skeletal hand straight from hell itself, may reach out to trip you up. The Highgate Vampire it has quite a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Every time I hear it, I imagine a long black coat and a stiff collar flicked up so high, all you can see is the glowing whites of the eyes. A bit Nosferatu casual, I suppose. However you imagine it, the spectral shadow of a tall, dark figure roaming amongst the gravestones would be enough to send a shiver down most people's spines someone walking over your grave, perhaps. 
It started with rumours, bubbling up from the suburbs surrounding the run-down and overgrown cemetery. Shadows seen moving in the corner of the eye that aren't there when you turn around. A deeply unsettling Chinese whispers that fed on the ghastly spoils of a once magnificent burial ground and grew to become a terrified shout that would take London by storm. It was 1969 when the unnamed witness came forward to tell his story. He claimed to have been hypnotised whilst exploring the graveyard and subsequently found himself lost amongst the listing stones and wild brush. He then spoke about a feeling of being followed and catching a glimpse of a tall, dark figure that disappeared into the shadows. After this, the reports and sightings came in thick and fast. Two teenage girls told of witnessing the dead rise from their graves and stories of unexplained shadows moving of their own accord, melting through walls, and all of it centred around the nearly 200-year-old cemetery. Beyond this point, the story of the Highgate Vampire can be staked down the middle into two camps. Those who genuinely believed that they were dealing with Dracula come to life, and those who were less Old Testament and more New Age about the whole thing. Leading the former camp was Bishop and self-proclaimed exorcist Sean Manchester, and amongst all of the fearful muttering, his was the first voice to usher the word vampire into the conversation surrounding the strange pallid figure seen at Highgate. He thoroughly believed, and as far as I can tell still does, that the shadow stalking the people who dared enter the Victorian cemetery was undead and feeding on them. Not only, in fact, were they dealing with an immortal being with a lust for blood, but a king vampire. Side note, I'm trying to work out if king vampire is a title or a category, like, are you crowned? Or is it like Mario, eat enough people and you level up? In which case, how many people makes you an earl or a grand duke? Anyway, I digress. In the other camp was David Farrant, an investigator for the British Occult Society. Social tendencies towards the esoteric and the occult have come and gone in waves throughout history. During the Victorian era, the practice of spiritualism became popular, wherein mediums would conduct seances in order to speak to spirits, and those who would pass to the other side. Interest waned during the early 1900s, but arrived in force after both world wars as families lost loved ones on a formerly unprecedented scale. By the 1960s, these beliefs were fading again, but at the same time, the UK was becoming more secular, and yet, people want to believe. Society was changing, and the rigid roles that had previously been held within the family home were shifting and changing. The women's lib movement, teenage culture, a growing interest in other ways of explaining the world, and how it works. And underneath all of it, the snaking river of the occult flowed. And alongside these beliefs in the mystical and supernatural are those who wish to understand it. And such was the case for the secretive British Occult Society. I've not been able to dig up much on them, but then I suppose 
What's the point of being a secret society if everyone can air your dirty laundry with a cursory Google search? Farrant first became involved after reporting his own experience in the graveyard to the press. He was living locally at the time and told of a sighting of a grey figure that he was convinced was paranormal in nature. His subsequent investigation into the terrifying sightings at Highgate Cemetery, however, smelled to him like more than just a squatting member of the undead. He also claimed satanic activity after a number of foxes that called the graveyard home were found slaughtered and graves and their inhabitants desecrated. If Farrant had hoped to keep the bizarre goings on on the down low, even going so far as to carefully avoid the use of the V-word when speaking to the media in order con to conduct his investigation under his own steam, he would be disappointed. And this, I suppose, is the birth of Farrant and Manchester's famous rivalry. When speaking to local press, Manchester excitedly informed them, whilst gripping a homemade crucifix, that the only way to destroy a vampire was to first drive a stake through its heart and with one blow chop off its head with a gravedigger's shovel and burn what remains. As a practical aside, human ribcages are pretty fucking strong. Stabbing someone through the chest like that would take an awful lot of strength and luck. Most people can't accurately pinpoint the location of their own heart, let alone to find it with one fell swoop of a sharpened fence post. Also, I can only imagine that gravediggers at the time were fiercely guarding their shovels, lest they be indicted in a crime. Plus, good solid shovels cannot be cheap. And after this statement went to print, well, all hell broke loose. Over a hundred people took up their spades and pointy wooden objects and converged on the cemetery determined to oust their fanged foe. Predictably, this did not go well. Reports from the night indicate a number of shadowy sightings and strange encounters, but mostly a large group of people who had hyped themselves up to find and kill a monster in the dead of night and scared themselves silly. Farrant's response was to call this mass hysteria. This kind of attention was exactly what he had been trying to avoid and could have who knows what kind of repercussions on his own investigation. By the time 1970 arrived, the previous furore around the figure in the cemetery had died down. Media interest had waned and moved on, but in August of the same year, this would change. It seemed that someone who had been listening to Sean Manchester's vampire hunting advice had taken it right to heart. Two teenage girls, not to be confused with the teenage girls cited earlier, they're never named, are they? And yet they're so often the witnesses quoted. Discovered to their absolute horror, the desecrated corpse of a long dead woman, staked through the heart and beheaded. Not only did this horrifying crime garner the attention of the police, but the whispers started up again. Just like before, people were reporting creepy, unexplainable run-ins with the supernatural, and Farrant knew that something had to be done. So, if a stake straight to the heart and beheading just won't cut it, 
What else is there to do? Exorcism, naturally. And how does one exorcise a cemetery accused of harboring vampires and Satanists? Well, it starts with drawing a large circle on the ground. Add some sacred symbols, salt and holy water into the mix, and you're off to a good start. Next, set up candles and incense. To your own preference, I assume. Just imagine, the next time you're passing through the candle aisle in TK Maxx, that person reaching for the pumpkin spice candle in a giant china maple leaf could be up to some no good satanic stuff. The rest of the ritual, however, will sadly be left to the imagination, as Farrant and the society's preparations attracted less of a supernatural presence and more of a police one. They were chased out of Highgate with Farrant recognised and arrested. And here ends the tale of the Highgate vampire. It's not very satisfying, I know. I'm afraid any articles that you find online are riddled with prejudice and accusations from both sides of the Farrant Manchester fence. Although Farrant would later spend a short spell in jail for grave desecration, a charge he vehemently denied, he landed firmly on the side of, even if it was something strange, there never having been a vampire there at all. Unlike Sean Manchester, who belongs to what he calls the Old Catholic Church, Google him and you'll find him in his Black Bishop's regalia, who truly believed that something dastardly and paranormal was afoot. In the end, all either of them wanted to do was get to the bottom of a captivating mystery, but found themselves on either side of the same coin. One a believer, the other a skeptic. Both would go on to write books and speak about their experiences, forever in competition with one another until David Farrant passed away in early 2019. The two even attempted to settle the score in 1973 with a so-called magical duel on Parliament Hill in Hampstead. Unfortunately, this battle of wills, and wands, we'll never know, never actually took place and ends up being just another bizarre and enticing element of the whole mystery. I truly believe that if such magnetic characters who were so utterly convinced that something supernatural was afoot hadn't been involved, the Highgate Vampire may have been nothing more than a footnote in the Great Cemetery's story. Not long after the vampire hysteria subsided, the Friends of Highgate began advocating for the care and rehabilitation of the cemetery, and in the nearly 50 years since, Highgate has flourished as a tourist and educational destination and been named part of the Magnificent Seven, a collection of especially old and important London cemeteries, including Kensal Green in Kilburn. Highgate is one of those destinations that you may know even without recognising the name. For children of the 1970s or lovers of vintage horror, you may recognise the sloping headstones and looming trees from the opening of horror anthology classic Tales from the Crypt. In the alternate history book SSGB by Len Dayton, 
A bomb explodes from within Karl Marx's tomb, which resides in the eastern side of the cemetery. It's particularly rude when considering the fact that Monument is mostly made up of a bust of Marx's head. So there you have it. I hope you've enjoyed our brief wander around the haunted 1970s of Highgate Cemetery, and maybe the next time you find yourself there, or in any graveyard for that matter, you'll let your gaze linger a little on the shadows and convince yourself that they didn't move. If you are also a lover of the dark, the strange, and possibly of cursed literature, join me over on TikTok at Definitions, where I also chronicle and recommend all of my favourite morbid books. If you have any thoughts to share about the podcast or your own impending mortality, drop them in the comments. Reviews and ratings go a long way in helping to get this podcast out there, and I greatly appreciate the support. I want to tell you guys about all this weird stuff as much as you want to hear about it. The more you let me know you're out there listening, the more I'm inspired to delve into the depths of the internet and my local library to bring you these twisted tales. The Definitions podcast is researched, written and read by me, Jasper Chanter, with music provided by Zapsplat. Anyway, chop chop, breaks over, pick that shovel up, that grave's not going to dig itself. Bye-bye for now, listeners. Catch you on the other side. <laughs>